You made an old man happy, Bo. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Ladies and gentlemen, it the day has finally come. Welcome back to Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, this episode entitled, thanks to, uh, I believe it was Darren who came up with this gem, uh, Quid Pro Bo, Duncan, it is the official Silence of the Lambs commentary. Uh, I am Bo Ransell. With me as always, Duncan McLeish, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. It is phenomenal to be back, even though it's not been that long. It feels great to be back doing another DBCC. Yeah, it it hasn't been that long. Uh, the wounds are still fresh. <laughs> <laughs> the psychic scars have yet to to truly heal. But uh, mm-hmm. this is something we've been talking about for a long time. I'm curious how this is gonna go. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got, I've got a sinking feeling that it's never going to be as good as we kind of hope it's going to be. I mean, the movie's going to be great. We already know that the movie's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but I think we've built up so much nonsense about what might happen that I will be very surprised if it isn't just me and you sitting there going, "This is an awesome movie." That you know, that's such a clever choice. Look at this camera. Yeah, I, I get a feeling that the nonsense meter may take a little bit of time to rev up. Perhaps so. Uh, history will be the judge. But even if uh, our listeners don't get uh, a heap and helping of craziness, you're still watching <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, and that ain't too bad. Oh, yeah. This is... this is It's weird how... Like, it's weird how you make connections of movies with certain things you do. And I mean, I've always been a massive fan of Silence of the Lambs. I think it's a genuine thing. It's like one of the benchmark kind of thriller horror movies of the you know 90s. Um, and talk about cultural importance uh, and pop culture importance. Um, it's huge. You know I mean? It's absolutely massive. Uh, it comes from a book that I think is really well written as well. I love the book. Um, but I never really, I, I was never to the point where I was like that. I must reference this all the time. Uh, and then I started podcasting with you, and then I realized that we slip into this really, really, really easy. Um, which is, it's the same with The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone was a movie that I really <laughs> liked. You know, it was in the background and all the rest. And I, I enjoyed watching it like that. I wasn't always kind of referencing it or do, doing things like that. Then I started doing a podcast with you, and you start to find that it invades your lexicon without you actually realizing it has. So there are now certain movies that I just associate with Duncan and Bo, um, and Silence of the Lambs is definitely, definitely one of them. Oh, um, so much so that I think we've linked everything back to Silence of the Lambs since maybe before Twin Peaks. Now. Yeah. <laughs> just, ridiculous now now things have gotten all sexy i started thinking about having my lexicon invaded yes yes um yep uh it's, it's gonna be invaded like poland in 1939 oh um <laughs> all right so listeners here's <laughs> here's how this is gonna work uh we are queued up uh ready to go um to do the same to follow along you're going to want to go to about the 11 second mark. It is right after the MGM logo has faded out, just before the Orion logo fades up. And what we're going to do, these are lethal weapon rules. We're going to say <laughs> one, two, three, then go. 
uh, mm-hmm. and hit play on your video player of choice. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of the, the film audio play for a second, and then we're going to bring that down uh, so that you can uh, sync up. But in theory, in your own home, in your headphones, whatever it is, you're listening to the actual movie, uh, and and then we're uh, along for the ride. You got us playing secondary, all, all uh, sidecar-like. So... <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to ride in a sidecar. That's that's the reason that came out. Um, yeah, I'm glad you said sidecar because no one likes a backseat podcaster. No one. No, no. You know, you really should be making more references here. Is a backseat <laughs> podcaster. So, <laughs> all right. Again, it's going to be one, two, three, go. You start the movie. We're going to play a little bit of audio to help you sync it up, and then we're going to drag that down, and then we start doing stupid impressions is pretty much how this is going to go. So Duncan, are you ready? I was born ready for this. All right, here we go. One, two, three play. And you should now be seeing the, uh, Orion logo with its spinny stars. Um, so, quick interesting note as uh, as everybody is getting synced up here. Um, originally, Gene Hackman bought the rights to Silence of the Lambs. After he read the All book, right. he bought the rights, was set up to both be the, um, the director of the film as well oh, as to right. play uh, the Scott Glenn character. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then I think this is on the heels of maybe it was Mississippi Burning, I think. But he decided, uh, as the, the, Ted Talley, was, uh, the screenwriter, was already hired um, to write the adaptation. And then Gene Hagman pulled out. And Ted Talley uh, wasn't sure whether or not he should finish the script. Because suddenly the you know the money fell through because Gene Hagman was no longer on board, mm-hmm. and uh, the Orion was like, you know what, we're going to pick up the tab on this. Somebody is going to come along to direct this film, and in the meantime, uh, you finish the script. They hired Jonathan Demme, and you know the rest is history. We talked about this a little offline, but. Uh, as you see here, Jody Foster, and uh, let's turn down the volume on our end, so you should be all synced up, listeners. Um, Jody Foster here is not the first choice for Clarice Starling. Um, that was Michelle Pfeiffer that Jonathan Demme had worked with in Married Married to the Mob. Mm-hmm. But Just can't imagine her running in a sweaty jumper. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and Jodie Foster tried to buy the rights to the book after she read it and then found out that Gene Hackman had already uh, had already bought the rights. Mm-hmm. But uh, she ended up, once Jonathan Demme was brought on to direct, she called up uh, Demme, or, you know, her agent was like, I need, you know, I, I want that part, Dr. Lecter. And because <laughs> she was already talking <laughs> at that point, like Clarice. And, um, <laughs> she, uh, Jonathan Demi w- wasn't sure she was right for the part. And as the story goes, she was, uh, as soon as he saw her 
walking, didn't even say a line. As soon as he saw her walking down the hallway towards the audition, he sensed her determination and was like, that's, that's my Clarice. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and there you have it. That's how, uh, Jodie Foster, um, basically lobbied and got the role after desperately wanting it. And, um, you know, went on to win best actress, uh, for her troubles. Yeah, and rightly so. Um, only to be replaced with uh, Julianne Moore and the the Hannibal movie that came, the Ridley Scott Hannibal movie later on, because she refused to come back. She didn't want to do it. Yeah, and Anthony Hopkins recommend Julianne Moore for the part because they mm-hmm. had done the Picasso film, and yes, and he was like, you know, who should be Clarice, <laughs> that sexy little redhead. <laughs> I'll say one thing, Julianne Moore's Clarice Starling accent is fucking atrocious. Um, <laughs> really, 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 really bad. Um, yeah, well... But she's great in the movie, but yeah. It's just not a great movie. It's it's okay. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but Silence I don't like the end of just It's too good, you know? Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I don't like the. I don't like the fact they changed the ending. I understand why they changed the ending because the book's ending is kind of ludicrous, but I don't like the the filmic ending. Now this movie here is a pure good, right? Uh, another quick note: the scene that we just saw uh, with her running on the training course, not mm-hmm. in the original script. It was something that Jodie Foster insisted on, saying that originally it was going to open with the scene. Um, where she's in in training Look you know the, the blackboard in the background there yeah. skin signature like star around it with uh <laughs> the e cummings uh buffalo bill lines are on that blackboard as well yeah um but yeah she uh she said that she didn't want to open the film with that scene like where she busts into the room and the instructor is like what didn't you do chick behind me you know that, that scene. Um, <laughs> You're dead, Starlin. You're dead. Right. We'll get to it, Duncan. But yeah, it was. Uh, it, that's how it was supposed to open, and she was like, "No, no, no. It needs to be. You need to see her determined, not failing right off yeah. the bat." And you know, you can read her face like a book. That's what I kind of love about her performance. Yeah, she. You know it's, I mean? it's a real hard on the sleeve kind of performance, and. She worked with uh, actually her and Scott Glenn and Anthony Hopkins, all three, to one degree or another, were working with uh, people at the behavioral science unit at Quantico. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Glenn here, who is uh, amazing, um, mm-hmm. was <laughs> very famously an anti death penalty guy until he listened to a recording recommended to him by uh, a guy named john douglas who was one of the guys at the time of this filming as a matter of fact one of the guys looking for the green river killer and Mm. um played a tape of i'm trying to remember the it's the i want to say the toy box killers oh god Um, the toy box killer recordings the most haunting thing you'll ever hear in your entire life but it's it it was um at at any rate you know, Scott Glenn was like, you know, I, I, I really think that we're getting some uh, authenticity and, and that kind of thing. And the John Douglas was like, hey, if you really want to know what this job is like, then here's what you need to listen to. And sure enough, the, the, the rumor is 
Uh, Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris are the are the guys. Um, he listened to about sixty seconds of the tape and punched John Douglas in the face. Uh, yeah, and 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 after that was no longer completely against the death penalty. So I thought you would like I, I get images of uh, <laughs> I get images of my cousin Vinny when they're testing the jury. Uh, and the women's against the, the little old ladies against the death penalty, and he reads out the whole thing, and she goes, "He goes, what would you say to that?" And she goes, "Fry him." Yeah, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> good lord, if you've heard any of those tapes, they're oh yeah, they, they, they'll horrifying. age you. Don't, they will actually age you. First of all, you don't listen to them. To them. Like if <laughs> you haven't heard them, don't. Yeah. Uh, Lecter's been in prison uh, all these years. Why now? Um. I yeah so one of the things that uh the FBI cuz the FBI worked closely on this film with uh the production strangely enough mm-hmm. uh, not not something the FBI normally did but one of the things that they complained about when the movie was done was sort of like well you don't really send rookie agents alone to do this shit yeah and, and especially towards the end of the movie where she's you know uh going to Jane Gum's house they were like, yeah. that oh, would never happen. Like, cinema's greatest sleazeball. Originally reading for the part of Will Graham was Anthony Held, a.k.a. Dr. Chilton, and was only given this part after he uh, read against Jodie Foster as Hannibal Lecter. And Jonathan Demme mm-hmm. was like, oh, you can be sleazy. Fantastic. <laughs> can be quite a fun town. <laughs> Have the right guide. Yeah, uh... I like her trying to blow him off as politely as possible. Oh, yeah. The, the bit at the end of the stairs where she talks him through all this is just, you know, then I wouldn't have had the pleasure of your, your company. It's like, yeah. <laughs> as he tries to poke between his legs, his turgid fucking hard on. Right. He does Not everything but like rub it against her leg in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> ever his case, <laughs> so to speak. Very yeah. clever. Um, yeah, that's the turn right there. It's not a charm school. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Lecter, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that like this. Uh, this list. I think this is such a beautiful setup. The list of like, here's what you don't do. He is so mm-hmm. incredibly dangerous. You cannot. You can't give him a pencil. You can't. You can't even look <laughs> at him straight in the face. Because <laughs> uh, he'll hypnotize you with his lizard eyes. I love the fact he just holds this photo with him. It's just on his person. Yeah. And he's inside pocket. What? Uh, just are, that. What kind of fucked up person just carries a photo of that with him? Well, uh, that's how he stays hard. Yeah. Uh, a note here uh, that I didn't notice until I was watching this again recently for this. This bit here where he's like, his pulse never got above 85. Um, Later on, when uh, Lecter is breaking out, spoilers, um, (laughs) when Hannibal is is breaking out uh, and they're asking about, like, what's his blood pressure, you know, when he's pretending to be Pembry? It's 84. (sighs) Yeah. Ah, This movie's fucking smart, Duncan. (laughs) Oh, it's Barney. Barney, the the linking device, 
him and Hannibal are the linking device be- between the three more modern interpretations of the of the uh, Harris series. He was in Manhunter he, as well, he, not as this character, but he was in the movie. Yeah, he was different. Yeah, different actor, a different part. Do love Manhunter. I've I've got that. That's a, that's a good movie. It's a good movie. Right, and well, in another little tidbit, edutainment, Duncan. That's what we strive for here on this show. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Dino De Laurentiis who produced Manhunter, and Manhunter yes. did so poorly, gave up the rights pro bono to the Hannibal Lecter character. Yeah. And this Big mistake. Right. And this movie goes on to, you know, make three hundred almost three hundred million dollars. <laughs> and, you know, Manhunter made like a a buck thirty seven. <laughs> Should I shame I I love Brian Cox's performance as Hannibal Lecter. I think it's oh, yeah. phenomenal. And and uh I can't think of the actor's name now, but the guy who plays the Tooth Fairy is hey, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan yeah. is great. Oh, Tom Noonan is creepy. <laughs> uh, oh, here we go. I cut my wrists. <gasps> Look at the blood! <laughs> oh, man. That wasn't blood, Dr. Lecter. He, yeah. he put his, his sperm on me. He's got a a nice fling as well. Migs does. He's got amazing, like that. That's a proper Spider Man web sling. You know what I mean? So, all right. <laughs> About this performance, real quick. A uh, couple of notes. Uh, Anthony Hopkins said he based the Hannibal Lecter voice on a combination of Truman Capote and Catherine Hepburn. I can hear the Truman Capote. <laughs> yeah. And that the the creepy stare he has was a friend of his in London who rarely, if ever, blinked, and it made everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> Close. Yeah. Oh. Look at his another one who you can read the world on his face. Look at his eyes. Yeah, it's he's just got this reptile look. And again, something that Hopkins himself mentioned was like it is that reptilian kind of stare that doesn't blink. And when you do Mm -hmm. see him blink, it's for a reason. Yeah. Oh man, and also another bit of trivia. At 24 minutes and 52 seconds, Duncan, mm-hmm. the second least amount of time ever spent on screen for someone who won Best Actor. <laughs> I such a creepy line. Oh. <laughs> such a creepy line. Here we go. And then it, they're right in front of her as well. Goes for a little sniff. Uh-huh. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just given a, a woman a good old a good old sniff? Strange lady. Uh, not since the restraining orders kicked in, but, but, but not, not today. today. Oh, Duncan. <laughs> I'm so glad we're watching this. <laughs> I know Florence Jefferson. 
that's bad. <laughs> what did you expect? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. Come on, do it. I love it. Oh, no, 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 no. What I kind of love about this is the fact that like even even though she was like doing well or whatever like that, like Lecter just sees through it all because he knows he, he wrote the book on it. He just sees it there. Yeah, well, and that's that's his character, right? He is the all-knowing yeah. character. He he, yeah. even when he sends her on what seems to be the wild goose chase, the the Lewis friend thing, mm-hmm. that it's he knows where he's pushing her. You know, he yeah. knows what her character is. He knows. Uh, what he needs to do to push her to like he he's completely manipulating her like a pawn on a chessboard. Yeah, he already knows that she's interested in Buffalo Bill, or that's potentially why she's been sent to him. Right? Why else would would they come now? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. I and which they Julie did with um, Ted Bundy um, during the Green River killings. They actually spoke to Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy gave them a profile, which turned out to be half accurate, half not accurate. Uh, Ted Bundy said that he believed that he would be visiting the corpses after death to have sex with them, which was accurate. Um, but all the other things he said about him was not. Well, he got the important one. <laughs> and of course, the the upcoming scene with Buffalo Bill and the cast uh, trying to move the, the couch into the van, that, that was a technique used by uh, Ted Bundy. It was indeed. Yeah, it was a Bundy know. move. Uh, because Bundy is, you know, he's, he's a class act serial killer. Um, if you want to rip someone off, mm-hmm. why not? You know, well, well, there's a combination of about three or four. And yeah, I think, Ed, I think that's Gein. what makes the movie. Yeah. That's what the movie does for me in a really good way is that it seems so fantastical. It seems so far-fetched. It feels so, um, sensationalized, but yet it's grounded very much in reality, which is, that's the terrifying thing. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Let's take a line. <laughs> I know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, <laughs> stickily fumblings in the back seats of cars. Oh, man. If, yeah. Like, this is <laughs> the only time I've seen someone get dressed down in a film like this. Uh, or. or it, this, like just getting this cut to the bone by someone in a film is recently in the film Hereditary. There's oh a, yeah, that dinner scene is brutal as fuck. Yeah, there is some shit you should not say to a child in that scene. Yeah, just but it, much like this of just like this is some brutal truth that I'm about to lay on you. Oh, here we go. So fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah, you know the the story is Jonathan Demme uh, did not care for that. Yeah, sometimes directors don't know what they're on about. <laughs> like, and there was the thing, the, the infamous thing about um, this as well as after the stress and down. Apparently, on set, Jodie Foster did cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's it's because uh, Anthony. Uh oh. We got incoming, Duncan. 
Yep. Oh. Headshot. <laughs> you know, that is that is not bad stunt semen. That yeah. looks pretty good. I love it. Hannibal's going to kill him. Hannibal's going to kill him. I, I, I. <laughs> Look deep within yourself, Clarice. Yeah. It starts screaming out, Go! <laughs> and uh, actually, there was a note that the uh, the lady that at the behavioral science unit uh, that Jodie Foster worked with told her, like, sometimes that just happens. Sometimes you got to walk out of a building and just cry. Like, that's the mm. release because what you're dealing with is so heinous and um yeah oh man this is the first of many flashback scenes which kind of give you an indication of a bit of our backstory which we flesh it a bit more with our talks with Hannibal Lecter another bit of trivia Duncan (laughs) (laughs) eventually I'm gonna run out um but uh, they were going to go to, I think it was Montana or something, to shoot some, like, actual uh, a film version of that flashback of her, you know, carrying the lambs uh, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that after the scene played out between Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, after they performed that scene, Jonathan Demme said, uh, well, I guess we're not going to Montana. Yeah, you don't like, need we, that. Right, we got it. We don't. We don't need a yeah. single thing. Here we go. Yeah, beginning of the movie. What? No, sorry. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> no, sir, I did not. I like a, a nice Blu-ray because you can see that Jodie Foster has freckles. Yes. Not much, but a little <laughs> bit. Just a smattering of freckles. The Jodie Foster story. <laughs> yeah, early 90s fashion, not good. You know, I see, I look at it and I think, I could probably pull that off. Ironically, but <laughs> I, I kind of love that about him. So, like, Lecter killed the guy without touching him. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I like Crawford too. Saying, "Look, you don't have to have a take on this. Yeah. This is just, this is a crazy person doing a crazy person thing." I, I, I'm a bit of a detective, Agent Crawford. Uh, uncovered, <laughs> I uncovered a storage facility, and I think I should probably go alone late at night. Yeah, good well, idea. She does have, darling. She does have a card for the local office. 
Right, she's got her temporary badge, but she's running around like fucking Elliot Ness. Yeah. Send them to the morgue. Uh, do you know George Romero's in this movie? I did not know George Romero's in this movie. He, if you tell is. me George Romero is that one that's fucking there with a fake beard on with a horrible fake accent. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not here. It's actually he's one of the people that when um, Clarice visits Lecter in his cell in the, you know, right before he gets Pembry, he's one of yes. the guards taking her out. It's just a quick cameo. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you learn things here on Duncan and Bo Come Correct, a.k.a. uh, Quid Pro Bo, Duncan. Quid Pro Bo, Duncan. Oh, I I was so pleased when that title came up. um, One of my favorite moments in this movie happens here when she's climbing underneath, when she's like, you know, if uh, uh, we should find anything or, well, anything else. And she kind of gives that laugh like, what? Boy, it'd be yeah. fucked up if I died here, huh? <laughs> well, the fact this man's just watching her do it. Well, I mean, he's an old man. What's he going to do? Like, let me do that for you. <laughs> I'm close to death. Chivalry, Bo. If you don't have it, you let the terrorists win. Oh, this is it. I love this. Here you go. <laughs> I think that's great delivery. <laughs> she is so good at this. Um... And and one of the things that Demi does, obviously, is uh, when she is talking to someone, a lot of times you, you stare directly at them, um, mm-hmm. much like you are looking through Starlene's eyes. And yep. when you see other characters uh, from, you know, their perspective, it's sort of an over-the-shoulder them looking at Clarice and... Uh, it was a very pointed way that Demi used, uh, God bless his soul, um, R.I.P. Jonathan Demi, mm-hmm. but um, to to place the audience in her shoes as much as possible. Because Jonathan Demi, it turns out, is an awesome director. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out the guy knew what he was doing. I mean, you only have to see Stop Making Sense to know that, but... This is this is truly his masterpiece. Like, oh yeah, nothing else he did, and he did plenty of great movies. Uh, nothing else comes close to this in terms of just being yeah, this, so. That's one of these. Realized. Yeah, what we one of these rare occasions where just everything is perfect. You know what I mean? Like everything's on point. Like you've got the you've got actors and actresses turning maybe career best performances, a script that's really, really good. And you are on the edge of doing a a style of genre cinema which is still kinda in its infancy, which is about to dominate the next decade and a half. So Yeah. I mean truly there is no seven without Silence of the Land. Oh, definitely not, yeah. And then you can roll that out further into even things like uh, The Bone Collector, Fallen, um, you know, a ton of them in the nineties that just don't exist without the success of this movie. Yeah, that kind of FBI procedural, yeah. Yeah, like you said earlier on, you didn't have, obviously, Manhunter didn't set the world on fire. So you almost have to wait the, what, five years um, until this swings along and you get another crack at it. So.
Which once again, I don't know why. I think I think. Hello. Manner... <laughs> I'm super. Thanks for asking. <laughs> oh, I look so much like that in the mornings. <laughs> in a jar, you know how it goes, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> Ran still because I'm worth it. Yeah, um, right. So... <laughs> Thanks, Bernard. Um, <laughs> is Barney his Bernard? Uh huh. It's almost the same. <laughs> Do you put your hand in there when you know you could slam it back and chop it off? Uh, yeah, well. Uh, you do what she does you peek in and you're like the fuck is 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 this gonna be part of migs is this gonna be his dick it could be his dick Yoink. um yeah <laughs> yeah i wouldn't be so slow about it that's for sure i mean, like yeah I'll i think, think he i don't think he can pull it back in i think you have to shove it but it's always something that made me laugh I, I do like the fact that they start blaring Christian broadcasting at him as, <laughs> as punishment for convincing Migs to swallow yeah. his own tongue. Well, in the book, um, Ed, Ed Chilton has tried almost everything with Lecter and Lecter just has destroyed him, has ridiculed him, has fully psychoanalyzed him back. Um, and all Chilton wants is that the opportunity to be a celebrity and have his book and all the rest. <laughs> That's the sort of doctor I need, Bo. Uh-huh. <laughs> the sort of doctor that will hide the body for you. It's like the old joke about, like, you know, a friend is someone who will help you move, a best friend is someone who will help you move a body. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's quite, quite a doctor. Um, but very much like the Cronenberg doctor, you know, of like, uh, from, from Nightbreed, I, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I believe that you've killed a number of people, Boone, but I haven't turned you in yet because, well, I wanted to be sure. I love this bit coming up. Yeah. When she kind of shuts him down. Yeah. No, this bit where he goes. Not anymore. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Looks at the room. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Looks at the fucking wall. Yeah, that that is the uh, Hannibal equivalent of taking the victory lap, almost of. Yeah. <laughs> And it's another thing that's fascinating about this movie is you're kind of on as as horrifying as Hannibal Lecter is, you're Mm -hmm. kind of on his side here too. Like, like you, when we get to the end of this and he's going after uh, Doctor Chilton, you kind of want him to, you almost want to see that scene where he eats him, you know? Mm -hmm. 
I'll help you catch him, Clarice. <laughs> oh, Duncan. That sounds great, Dr. Lecter. <laughs> we'll go get you that case file. Also, how do you feel about gummy worms? I can get some of them, too. <laughs> Cut to a scene of him checking the case file, eating fucking a, a box of Twizzlers. <laughs> I know they'll never, ever ha- let me have licorice again, Clarice. <laughs> Hey, that's in my neck of the woods. Neck of the name. Mm-hmm. Um, Bull country. Yeah, land of the serial killers. <laughs> also, good lord. Uh, let's bring the volume up real quick just to uh, make sure we're syncing up. All right, listeners. It's a little Tom Petty for you. Ugh. It just hurts. It hurts to hear it. Here we go. Um, I I will happily say that Ted Levine might be the best on-screen serial killer of all time. More so than Michael Rooker, you think? Yeah, I I, I like Rooker's performance. I think Rooker's performance is... You get a lot more out of that because you spend a lot more time with him. I just think that Levine is... Holy terrifying. There's a there's a scene where he ridicules um that this this about to be captive woman where he ridicules her screaming and crying. Yeah. And I think there's nothing like there there's nothing worse I think or horrible actually than someone that ridicules your pain. Or your fear. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, especially in that situation of like he he, yeah. he takes pleasure in the pain that he is providing you. Well, yeah, she's she's screaming because she's just seen fingernails in the fucking wall. <laughs> the fingernails that have come off. Oh jeez, can you help me get the couch in there, monk? Yeah. And what's funny to me is like Ted Levine, I think, is a very good comic actor, really. Yeah. And it, it's amazing to see him in this role. Uh, but then I think I think about uh, when you watch uh, Mark Duplass in Creep. Sure. I think co- yeah. comedians just have our, our Robin Williams and something like one hour photo or even Insomnia. I think there is just something about comedians and their timing that Plus, like, you know, like com- comedy can be in, you know, if done the right way, can be very dark, very, very, very dark. I think there, there, there's a lot of that plays into that. And timing, above all else, is, is key to these roles. Is how you sell something without it becoming inherently cheesy uh, and moustache twiddling. And uh, the That's actress is... horrendous shot. Oh my god! Yeah, no, cut no, off. No. It Sorry. reminds me of something I've got. Um, <laughs> uh, the actress here gained like twenty five pounds just to play this role. Yeah. Mm, pressures. Um... <laughs> pressures. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of weird cat imagery in this movie, I noticed. 
Like yeah, when whole you go to bowl, I agree. When you well, no, when you go to uh Frederica Bimmel's house, she's got all these yep. old cat statues. We just saw the cat watching as uh you know, uh, I can't think of the character's name now, but anyway, when she gets taken and there's like a cat that leads Clarice to the closet, like all kinds of weird little stuff like that. That mm-hmm. I don't think is, you know, accidental. God, I want to do. Is this it because so they all? Is it? Is it because they all live alone? Ultimately, the women that he targets are heavy set women, which, and I think the movie insinuates that they don't really—they're kind of loners. Maybe not necessarily because of the rape, but they are kind of loners, and I think the cat's playing in that. Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe maybe Jonathan Demi just like cats. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have a good answer here. Um, this is that. This is what you call a like a small plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Agent Crawford, can you get off my lap? <laughs> it's real, really. Uh, Doctor Lecter brought up some things that make this a little more uncomfortable now. I love how all these little details, like the psychological details of like, oh yeah, he he didn't want someone to find her, but the yeah. other bodies he didn't care about. And um We're about because to oh, well we cover it, what do we see? Yes, that's right. And what do we cover? What? Cover what we see every day. I yeah. said what do we cover, Bob? Yeah, we cover what we see every day. God damn it, Duncan, I just said that. Uh, <laughs> you said it without being prompt, and that Sorry. that one do you got sloppy there, but I did. Just I, I, well, that's because I was taking off my pants. This is the scene that I started to get aroused, <laughs> and I I really dig the fact like th- this whole scene. I really like, but it is one of my favorites in in my later viewings of this. Of uh, you know. Look, her parents would thank you if they could, but we'll take it from here. Go on. Yeah, now go on. Go on now. Go on. Scott Glenn, I mentioned, uh, you know, before we start recording that I've been watching Castle Rock and he is in that show. Is he? Yeah. He is. He is Alan Pangborn, the uh, sheriff from the Dead Zone. Nice. Which they name check quite a bit, actually, in that film. Uh, They talk about the Strangler in Castle Rock uh, a handful of times. And... um, but he is like long since retired, of course, in the in the current show. But he has a great line where he's talking about. I think it's even in the first episode, maybe the second, where he's talking about this kid that they find in Shawshank, and he just has a great Scott Glenn, "Don't let that fucking kid out" uh, kind of kind of <laughs> moment. It's really good. I don't know what uh, funeral homes are like. Even outside the South, but I've been to funeral homes that look so much like this. Yeah, they don't look much like this in the UK. 
oh sure there you know you guys don't don't have old time religion you just prop the corpses up in the room in a a cool room Uh, you you put on top of a a pyre and then everyone gets (laughs) an arrow to shoot at and the person that hits it hits it hits it first wins a prize you get to take home part of the corpse as a souvenir. Like you, you get to take you get to take home part of your dignity. Um. Right, you get a a castle. They just give you one if you if you're the first to hit the pyre, and it <laughs> and if you have a castle, you, you actually already, go through. You go through the quickening bow. Um, oh shit, Duncan! <laughs> Here we are. That's coming up. By the way, commentary coming soon. Uh-huh. Duncan and Bo, there can be only one. <laughs> I am a mortal. Uh, yep, it's going to be a singing queen all the way through it. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> Just oh. a lot of us, a lot of us gargling with some whiskey beforehand, so we can do the Kurgan voice. Sure. Of course, she is. <laughs> oh, it looks like there's a flashback in here. man all these close-ups thank christ that the actors in this movie are largely attractive yep As an actor, I don't think I could, if I were in this film, I don't think I could ever watch it. I mean, like, I wouldn't want to see myself that close up for that <laughs> length of time. Like, Jesus Christ, get that troll off the screen. Sorry, I had a funeral flashback. <laughs> I'll be right back. Hashtag funeral flashback. Oh, good Lord. The fax machine. Yeah, thank uh, God that. Well, I was going to say thank God that that companies are still using them. I mean, it's like use fucking email. Yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, we run into that every now and again too. When someone's like, oh, "Hold on, I, we'll get back we to fax yep. machines." All right. Huh. They're all standing there with a the free coffee. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, like any time at work, if somebody's like, hey, we can fax you something, I'm like, fuck. I mean, you can, I guess. We've got yeah. one still, but would you stop it? Can you not? A scanner's going to cost you at this point 30 bucks. And it's going to make everyone's life easier. Mm-hmm. I I have some of that stuff uh, for my penis. I just wear it <laughs> right over the top. So if anyone's down now, there. <laughs> I cannot remember. I think the guy who did it before her is a recurring character in the books as well. So I think he's the guy that pulls the fingerprint off from the tooth fairy in the previous movie not the same like actor playing you're right but... he, he's it's the same actor different character yes
Sorry, I, I just got a whiff of this stuff you put under my nose. It <laughs> it smells a little like poop, Agent Crawford. <laughs> Can you wipe it everyone, off? Let me get a whiff of everyone the looks, Everyone looks like they've done a couple of lines. So hang over from the right. 80s. She's just like, all right, I, uh, uh, Agent Crawford, I, I think I got an idea. <laughs> Let's, yeah. <laughs> let, let's get Hamble Lecter in here. Have him take a look at it. Maybe we all go dancing yep. after. Yep. <laughs> skins, skin, skins come off because he's making cartons. He's making cartons. Human cartons. That's what it is. Everyone <laughs> agree? Cartons, cartons. <laughs> we should call him Buffalo Yayo. <laughs> I like that line a lot, too. It looks like town to me. We'll find out what happened to them later. (laughs) Chekhov's fingernails. Yeah. (laughs) Be sure you get some pictures. I'm going to need something to rub off to later. Oh, for fuck's sake. What? It's rude. <laughs> leaves and <laughs> Lots things. Lots of times there's like leaves and things and things and stuff. Yodas and shit. Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> Of this as well, wasn't it? She's got a very narrow throat. Probably wasn't popular with the boys. That I love that because like they, they, <laughs> when they take that, you hear the hiss of air. Yeah, it's very, very subtle. Oh, so fucking it. Yeah, and we're about to be treated to the very, very, very early take on the lone gunman. <laughs> Man, uh, and speaking of, uh, Chris Carter made no bones about the fact that Agent Scully is largely based on Clarice Starling. Yeah, of course. Well, that's the thing about the X-Files, like, especially the early days and the inception of a lot of characters. It's just basically, what was the big movie? <laughs> Sure. What did what did what, what did big movie? Can we do a, a kind of low low based knockoff monster of the week episode of that? Cool, let's do it. It matters, Agent Crawford. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, you go, Starling one, yeah. Crawford fucking zero. Yeah, but it doesn't seem to phase him too much. He would, uh, he's not he's not bothered at all. He's gonna do it again. Yeah, he went back to sleep the sleep of the misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> Preacher. <laughs> What's up, dinosaurs? High five. Y'all got any weird bug-eyed entomologists here? 
good. Do you know how different and how awesome Jurassic Park would have been if Anthony Hopkins had taken the part of Richard Attenborough? <laughs> oh, and did the you know, spare no expense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only the best ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, him telling that flea circus story would take on a very sinister bent. Oh, fuck, yeah. A flea circus came to take my my So this kind of low-rent Ed Harris knockoff later went on to be in Fraser. That's true. And uh, by the way, Ed Harris also uh, approached for the role of Agent Crawford. That would be, I could see that. Yeah, and again, he didn't want to do it because he, he thought it was uh, it was too violent. Yeah. A lot of I, I, <laughs> Right, Ed Harris. He, was, he was literally in a movie called The History of Violence. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, well, look at what we have here. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Huh, somebody loved this guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, like, this is just such a cool construction to this movie, like, that all these little clues keep leading further and further along into both an understanding of James Gum and and Clarice's zeroing in of him, and oh, it's mm-hmm. just so cool. Of course, the novel goes into the novel goes into a bit of detail. It's one of the criticisms of the movie in modern times um, is the portrayal of the the mental state and the sexuality of of James Gunn and, you know, and how that plays into a very narrow Hollywood vibe towards it. But in the book, they give a little bit more of a backstory behind it. Plus, in the movie, the, you know, Lecter does state, you know, that he'd been turned away for certain things. And they go as far to explain that it's a mental condition first. It's nothing to do with sexual orientation, but yeah, and it, it does actually appear. It's one of the things that really annoys me is when this movie appears as like some sort of relic of a forgotten time where they're, you know, they're playing into horrible, you know, LGBT stereotypes by trying to make them. I, I just don't see it that way at all. If anything, I think I, I think that the movie is putting forward a progressive point rather than a, a regressive point, and yeah. that you know, I, you know, the, the, uh, the serial killers can be anyone. Well, can be anything, and and also, I, I don't know if it's Crawford or, or Lecter one, but they say like, no, 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 he just thinks he's a transsexual. He's not. That's right. You know, yeah. and and that was the point that when, you know, this movie got kind of knocked for it, Demi made that point, too, of like, no, 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 we explicitly yeah. say in the movie he is not transsexual. Yeah. You yeah. know, he just thinks he is. He's just so he's so horrified by himself. He's trying to become the thing furthest from himself, which is even an opposite gender. Yeah. Oh, I love your suit. That's smart. <laughs> Uh, which, which it is. I, I, and this is kind of a nice, I, again, just getting into the psychology of, of killers, Duncan. You know how we enjoy that on this show. We do indeed. 
that them pointing out like, oh, her using her name is smart because it it helps uh, or it tries to reduce the objectification that the killer can do. And then you see James Gum saying, you know, it puts the lotion in the basket. And yeah, and, and exactly showing the objectification like that's how you can kill someone for yeah. at least for this character is you don't see them as a person. As <laughs> Agent Starling says right now. Yeah. You get that one slight scene where he kind of starts to cave a little bit on her. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's a fleeting. It's like a blink and you'd miss it, and then it goes right back. Uh Chilton, you're so gross. What a gross you're character. You're about to get bitch slapped. Here we go. I like his pants are unzipped right now, right? Oh yeah, his hands his hands in there, and his cock is out. <laughs> and he realizes how silly he looks now that his cock is out his pants right there. That's he's his just face. Ever seen one of these before? <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. Yeah, Chilton would be more Brimley than Lecter. Yeah. Oh, you Plum Island boy, you get to swim with the water. You get to supervise. Uh, <laughs> Which is a real place, it turns out. Yeah. But she sells this brilliantly. It's uh -huh. the fact that she says supervise. Look at her face when she does it. It's Plum Island. Like, you may walk on the beach. You may swim yeah. in the ocean for up to one hour. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> He's like, Plum Island, you say. Like, she's giving him everything that he wants. Yeah. And, yeah. and now it's up to him to figure out. I like the fact that there was enough give and take in the relationship that she kind of gets one over on him. Yeah. I also kind of like that he wants to be left alone with the pictures because we know what that means. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Sounds charming. Turns nest there is a great yeah. little detail. You know, the, uh, there's almost this Doug Tilly thing when I watch this movie of like, did this movie make movies worse? Because yeah. <laughs> because yeah. so many movies tried to do what this one did so expertly that, yeah. you know, the this sort of, you know, the charming serial killer that gets in the head of his uh, accuser or his pursuer mm -hmm. that, you know, like, speaking of the movie Copycat, Duncan... Um, oh yeah <laughs> i mean it's right there in the title like i i kind of enjoy the movie copycat but it is yeah it's it's as harmless it's a harmless movie <laughs> yeah it's a movie that's trying to be a whole hell of a lot darker and doesn't really know how to you know it's like a, it's a very kind of low rent suspense but it's still enjoyable, I, I, and Sigourney Weaver's great in it. So yeah, uh, and I'll watch the Holly Hunter in just about anything. Oh yeah, she's excellent as well. <laughs> I boy, that line. I think it would be quite something to know you in private life. 
Yeah, it's terrifying. It is, but it's also the genesis of the line later where she, you know, when he escapes, spoilers, yeah. um, where she's like, hey, there, he won't come after me because he would see yeah, it as rude. Can, can, yeah, consider it rude. That's not a butterfly, is it, Agent Starling? Why would you lie to me? <laughs> I'm going to invite you to get the fuck out of here now. Fly, fly away. Fly, fly. Away. <laughs> fly, fly. Fuck, fuck away. Fuck, fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if there were like the Dan Band version of <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> what did multiple MIGs in the fucking cell next to you say? Yeah. Oh, right, right. Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. get a walk. But that's Muldoon from Jurassic Park. Anthony Hopkins could play all the parts. I agree, including the Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) I'm coming to get you, Malcolm. Yeah, Uh, uh, I have forgotten to say the magic word. I th- honestly, the thing I have stuck in my head now is Jeff Goldblum looking in the rearview mirror and seeing a big Anthony Hopkins <laughs> face. Must go faster. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's that T Rex wearing one of those Hannibal Lecter masks. Oh, it'd be so good. Oh, infamous shot. There <laughs> we go. Severe childhood disturbances, mm-hmm. the Bo Ransdell story. Yep. Also, really well explained in the book. You get like several chapters from the perspective of James Gunn. Of James Gunn. That seems inappropriate. Yeah. James Gum. Oh. James Gum. That's right. <laughs> James Gum, because his mum spells his name wrong. It's just so fucking creepy. Which implies that it has gotten a hose already. Yes, several times. That would explain why she's wet. Oh, yeah, this is the fingernail reveal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So creepy. And then he belittles her by doing the fake scream back at her. Ugh. But, you know, I, every now and again, do you have that moment where you're a freak like myself, where late at night, late at night when the demons come, um, <laughs> that you have that moment of like, there, there is probably someone out there that has been abducted by a serial killer mm-hmm. and is just out there waiting to die right now. Oh, yeah. That's horrifying. 
Welcome, listeners. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. And the ring ripped that off. Here we go. It's just ah, the worst bit. (laughs) Yeah, it. This is the worst bit. Look at how fucking cheesy it is. Oh, I know. It's just I've got. I've got the world on a string, says Dr. Chilton. Uh, All right. And listeners, we will be bringing the volume up again. So you can. Yeah. But in Chilton's ultimate gloating position, he unfortunately leaves his pen. Bad move. Also, how sore must that be? His nose is like smooshed. I'm not saying let's pity the serial killer, but but let's make him comfortable. Is your take? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, like it, let's not treat him like a fucking animal. You know what I mean? That's what I got now. Oh, yes, and what could be one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. Hey, hello, Roger Corman. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Jonathan Demme likes Roger Corman as well. Showed up in Philadelphia also. Everyone should everyone should like Roger Corman. And I think he's good like in these little cameo roles that Demi gives him. I always think that he's pretty good in those. You know, mm-hmm. that that they're always like he doesn't have to do much, he just has to be in a suit and say something creepy. I have one of those masks for my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love this moment too where Hannibal's like, is he smart enough to figure out I took his pen? Mm-hmm. No. Excellent. <laughs> also for the audience, let's have a zoom in. And a Darth Vader breath. <laughs> <laughs> we are mere seconds away from five foot ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds, blonde hair, pale eyes, bro. Yeah, about seventy-five now. This whole scene is amazing. Like the fact that the senator and her team are like barely close enough to have a conversation. Yeah, she it's doesn't the, want to it's be the any mirror as well between the sits and the the sits. Really, the men in blue and the both people of immense importance, but for different reasons. I like the guy with the shotgun, just you know, to Hannibal's right. Of like, mm-hmm. look, I know he's strapped down and all, but he so much as twitches. Yeah, uh, he's gone. I, yeah, I'm going to put a 12-gauge in his gut. 
I Mustache, also give kinda, me the papers. Yeah, I also kind of love that Hannibal Lecter will continue to fuck with someone and push it right to the limit. I mean, there's a very good chance this deal doesn't happen. You know what I mean? But he pushes it right to the fucking edge because he knows he can. That he has all the cards. And then still plays them. Doesn't give them the right name. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is, again, entirely for his own amusement. He knows. His plan is to escape. And uh, he knows that he can now. He's got that pin and and, uh, it's just a matter of time until he makes his move. And plus, he's just smarter than everyone else in the room. Uh, yeah, combined, he's yeah you know, playing playing chess while the rest Here of the world is playing checkers. <laughs> Look at Jones. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I fucked up." When your little girl is on the slab is a great line. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and he calls her mom. Here we go. It's going up. Amazing. Love your suit. <laughs> oh, when he widens those eyes at the end too oh my god that's so good when your little girl is on the slab where will it tickle you oh alright and remember uh, when she gets yeah, kicked look- out we're yeah. on a Romero lookout <laughs> Romero watch. I understand. I just need to see him one second. I've got some posters of his. He's real partial to Deep Purple. <laughs> Smoke on the water. <laughs> Strangely, more of a Hush fan, but <laughs> Smoke on the Water is also quite good. I'm not a gun person, but I do like those little, like, quick-glowed revolver things. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact that she's like, he is totally full of shit. Yeah. I, I know. <laughs> Was it Iron Ferris? Is that what it is? The Yeah, it's Phil's gold. gold. Yeah. In the book, it was something else. It was like a, a, like a color of brown or something. Yeah. Implying that it was shit. Um, yes. Because why not? <laughs> right, because it's again, it's Hannibal Lecter just screwing with people. Because that's that's what that's what Lecter do. He's the smartest guy in the room and is going to entertain himself with all the stupid people around him.
I love the spin around coming up as well. It's a great shot. I included a couple that I did myself. It's mostly <laughs> watercolors and crayon. Like a stick man. <laughs> there, there's one of a princess. I got a little outside the lines, but you can tell that I worked on it. Here you go. You know, like a better prey than that. You know, he's like, yeah. Yeah, I... As much as he's fucking with her, I think that he does have a, a genuine respect for her at this point. Yeah. Here we go. And it just adds that. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, he is just a frustrated professor. No, yeah. Oh, you stupid little girl. <laughs> Silly bitch. <laughs> I mean, on screen, the, the, I mean, there is not a lot of time on screen between the two of them. And I think that just that I think they've measured it perfectly for the movie anymore. And it might become a bit tiresome. And the story is kind of about them, but it's also not at the detriment to the Buffalo Bill story, which takes a prominent part in the last third. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thrust of the story, right? Is her trying to catch yeah. this killer, but it is all through the, um, you know, the journey of it is finding that she has this kinship and this relationship with a monster. Yeah, this is this is the the Tarantino Kill Bill equivalent of you know Clary Starling training with Pai Mei, right? <laughs> yeah, she goes to go and kill Bill. I'm not done that because it's Buffalo Bill and Bill, but um, I, I now I now like that. Yeah. All right. Buckle up, Dr. Lecter. Shit's about to get raw. <laughs> How do you feel about animal cruelty? Because there's some of it in this story. I do love the fact as well that what, what does Lecter order for his meal? Oh, lamb chops lamb extra chops. bloody. That's, that's right. <laughs> Fuck. This movie is so good. She's <laughs> so fucking grim, man talks about our lamb being slaughtered and then he's just like, yeah, I'll have a lamb chops extra bloody. <laughs> she really sells us, man, honestly. Yeah, there are moments in this movie I feel uh, almost bad talking over because it's like, no, 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 just watch this. This is this is good acting uh, and, and good screenwriting as well. 
you know i mean it's just th- this is a movie that is a a shawshank redemption level movie for me where i can i can just kind of watch it any old time and every time i do i i like it as much or more than the time before hmm I think she was 27 when she performed. She's fucking crazy. Crazy. Crazy good. You know, and only a couple of, I think a couple of years before she had been in The Accused and won a, mm-hmm. uh, a Best Actress for that. And this year she's in Hotel Art- uh, Artemis. Which feels like a massive step down. Well, but she also directed uh, Black Mirror, and you know, like she's oh, yeah. she's more of a director. Oh, she's days. yeah, she's uh, yeah, like that's that's where she's leaning more into. I'm I've not been overly enamored with her acting roles in the like last decade, but she's keeping very very busy and she's an important voice uh, in the film industry. I think. For, oh, for sure, and I I. A, not an apologist. I think it's a legitimately great movie, but I, I still think that Home for the Holidays is one of the best portraits of yeah. an American Thanksgiving I've ever seen. Oh, ever. we've covered it on this show. Well, yeah, we've we covered it on this show, my I, friend. You know how I feel about it. I love it very much. I she, think it's she's very good. She's just. I, I think she she was in um, that. What do you call it? that? Panic Room, which I didn't think was a. I didn't think she was particularly good. I didn't think it was a very good movie. And then she was in uh, Elysium. And she is not good in that. No, I, I like Panic Room though. I thought that for for a movie about a Panic Room, I don't know how you would make it much better. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's that, like once again, it's one of those kind there of he is on the walkie-talkie in the background. Yep. So yeah, it's fucking hell. Look at that, George Romero, ladies and gentlemen, in Silence of the Lambs. There's a bar bet you'll win. Yeah, thanks little... for having me in this movie. <laughs> We're about to get the, the little touch, little brush of the skin. Mm, that's so sexy. And Lecter is masturbating t- till there's nothing coming out over that touch. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Just wisps of dust. <laughs> <laughs> until he actually Malcolm ejaculates Lander. out. <laughs> The, yeah, the husk like a, of a testicle. It's the fucking, it's the talcum powder ejaculate puff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that's, that's hour seven. And at hour <laughs> nine, this dried raisin comes out. The, the, the last little bit of flesh that used to be a testes. <laughs> Fucking, uh, I like the fact that he he draws her with three crosses, like she's the Virgin Mary in that picture mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> I have to prepare my tools of death and destruction. One moment. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
also he's got you know a uh jean renault level of mastery with like whatever i have can become a weapon yeah poor natalie portman is gonna learn all kinds of bad lessons from him <laughs> another potential commentary yeah the professional would be a pretty fun one you know who yeah. would listen to that duncan who Everyone! <laughs> yeah, Gary Oldman is fucking... That's when yeah, Gary Oldman was just like, what, you need a villain? A, a, a maniacal villain in your movie? Gary Oldman. Let's just get him in there. Yeah, it, like he's going to do something weird and wonderful and make your movie better. Mm-hmm. And then he does things like The Darkest Hour, which I understand is historical and whatnot, but it that movie is dry as a fucking bone. Boring. God, now I want some lamb. <laughs> That's one of those examples of the Oscars have fucked up so many times and not given this man an Oscar that we'll just give him it now. Right, he put on a fat suit. If he had also played handicapped, he would have gotten two yeah. Oscars. <laughs> I love this as well because this is that this is a great idea of a setup. Once again, kind of playing into that uh, kind of almost Kubrickian at the same time Exorcist three level setup where there's like two or three false starts of when he could have done this with the camera moving over. And they get here we go, and this is where you finally get to see the monster. So calm up to this point, and then boom. Yeah, I do like the fact that he's just like, and then it's just malicious. Look. It's like, we've hurt him now, mace right in the eyes, fuck you. <laughs> and then, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's just having a good time, you know? This is what he lives for. <laughs> they they say if you like what you do, you never work a day in your life, Duncan. And <laughs> good night there, but a good time. <laughs> Play that in his head on concert piano. Um, so... He's right. Bernard, <laughs> I had a dream. I was listening to piano music and eating police officers. Yeah. Oh, look at that shot. Brett Michaels and Poison were playing their famous songs on piano. It was riveting. Also, uh, his idea, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins' idea, was to wear white. Um, oh yeah, it's genius. Yeah, that uh, that's not the color of prison uniforms, but he had a fear of dentists. And <laughs> ah, ah, perfect shop. I'm going to need it, Pembrey. Right when you are, Mister Pembrey. Oh man. Guess who's showing up soon? <laughs> so what's funny is he he's the one who fires the gun here. Yes. You know, that way it happens off screen, but it's gotta be Lecter is the one orchestrating this. So yeah. it it's like, okay, here's what I have to set up. Now I'm going to fire the gun. They're going to hear that. Call the SWAT team. They'll come up here, and that's how I get the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By this point, I've swapped faces. I put the body on top of the 
the elevator, um, and now everything is set up. All the and then I will uh, hopefully everything will play exactly like I think it will in my head, and it does because once again he's the smartest guy in the room. I like that guy's mustache a lot. I really wish yeah. I could pull that off. I love how much everyone's perspiring as well, because I would be shitting myself as well. Right. I would be perspiring from my bottom. <laughs> it would be what they call brown sweat. Yeah. Niagara Falls, Bo. Niagara Falls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's short. It's like you thought Buffalo Bill was bad. Take a little look at this guy you've been sympathizing with for so long in this movie. It's a new Charlie's Angels poster. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Disemboweled, hung on the cage. That's good stuff. Yep. Bows in or bows out. And the thing is, once you know it's Hannibal Lecter, it's obvious it's Hannibal Lecter. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like repeat viewings is obvious, but... I like this guy just has to say, like, fuck. He's like, I need a little seat here. One of my favorite things. Chip Hooper, yeah. goddamn, now talk to. Him. Yeah. Oh. Worst, worst chat ever. Hey, um, so, did you have a good day? I mean, uh, yeah. have you got some red on you? <laughs> I bet you're looking forward to some time off, huh? <laughs> Uh, sweet disability money come rolling in i man uh, i don't know memphis police force welcome to the movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been hot shit about now oh well, sure. this is 92 so what a year after this two years after this it's a uh, fire what with me yeah. Ah, oh, early nineties, man. What a time to be alive. I work with Jonathan Dim here, <laughs> and then David Lynch. And then David Lynch. You know what I mean? On top of the world, this will never yeah. end. I, lo- I love like uh, Hannibal's reaction is whenever anyone starts to get slightly suspicious, fake uh, seizure. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will move quicker. And Hannibal doesn't have this planned. You know I mean? Right, yeah, this is just, you know, hey, look. A, a plan only survives first contact with the enemy. But I also like, like, hey, we got to get him out of here and then we'll deal with whatever the fuck is on top of the elevator. And ladies and gents, Hannibal Lecter is now a free man. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, I'll check the elevator. 
<laughs> what a wicked game he plays when he wears someone else's face. <laughs> what a terrible thing to do. <laughs> To pretend oh, you're Embry too. <laughs> I do love to like shoot him in the leg, see what happens. Yeah. That's how I say hello to people. Yeah. Just love the idea of him actually being alive though and getting shot like an ah! <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Ow, owie, owie, owie. Johnny, hold your fire. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you get on in there. I'll show you with a pump of my fist. <laughs> I feel like I should have been doing that the whole time. Once his body falls out, I'm kind of <laughs> done with the movie. <laughs> See everyone next time. Love the scene. Love the scene. There we go. Hello. <laughs> right. She runs badly. Yeah, Ardelia is pretty quick to let her know, like, look, he is, you know that guy that is your serial killer boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? No, Hannibal Lecter. Oh, yeah, I remember him now. And that's kind of like Hannibal Lecter is out of the movie now until the end, right? If yeah. Memory serves. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant when I said earlier on. It's like she's studied in the dojo, and now this last half an hour of the movie really is Clarice and and Bill. <laughs> there is no fear in this dojo. <laughs> there is no fear in this dojo. <laughs> yes, Sensei. Lecter. <laughs> Sensei Lecter. Strike first, strike hard. No mercy. <laughs> I like he signs it off as Ta. Ta. Yep. Ta. It's it's familiar, you know. It's the like we're friends. I can just put ta. I want. Now I think I want he to does in one of the there. movies. And one of the movies, he does say ta ta. I can't remember which one that is. I uh, maybe Red Dragon because of some awful lines in Red Dragon. Sure, sure. Yeah, I have oodles of time. Oodles. The Hannibal Lecter would not say that. You know, I never saw um, Hannibal Rising. 
don't. <laughs> yeah, it just it seemed like a terrible idea, so I never. Yeah, for, first rule of that one is don't do that one. So that's a that's a script and a book that was written out of the fact that um, they said they approached him and asked him to write a new kind of prequel story, um, and Thomas Harris refused to do it, and they were like, "Well, we own the character." So we'll just write it ourselves, and as a result of that, you know, uh, Thomas Harris actually did write uh, like a backstory to the that bring the Hannibal, and it is not a great one. The TV show does it brilliantly, actually. Um, really kind of, really kind of works into it. the movie's just terrible. It's bad casting. They they throw in an unnecessary scene, harking towards a mask. That he wears with a samurai mask, so he lifts this up and it's this big iconic shot that makes no sense and is totally out with context. Um, it's just not a good movie at all. Right, well, a the, really, really bad movie actually. When I think about, it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the mask was something given to him so he wouldn't eat people by the state. You yeah, know, it's well, not n- like... he lifts the bottom half of a samurai mask over his over his face one of the scenes in the movie and because they look similar it's this big iconic moment I'm just like no no yeah that's stupid plus there's no way to chart how the character becomes Hannibal it doesn't make the through line doesn't make sense to me and at the end of the day it doesn't matter like all you need to know is he's this super smart psychologist who eats people in his spare time. Yeah, that's literally it. Like the, the, the knowledge we know of him is explained a bit more in red dragon about how his involvement with, uh, will Graham, um, the cases he'd been working on the fact that, you know, ultimately will finds it's Hannibal yeah. he's injured. And that, that's all you need there. And then it's fleshed out a bit more in Hannibal, which is actually still a pretty good book. Um, and those three is a trilogy of books, and for the most part, a trilogy of movies. Like I say, I can take take or leave Red Dragon. I prefer Manhunter as my sure. my entry point. Um, but if you want to be, if you're a kind of Anthony Hopkins purist, then you kind of want to follow that. Plus, they break, they really do make an effort to Chilton's in Red Dragon as played by the same actor. Barney's in it, you know, played by the same actor. So they really do try and fill those three as like like a proper through line in canon. But yeah, I'll always opt for Manhunter just because Michael Mann directs the shit out of that movie. It is so horribly, painfully 80s and neon. It's kind of phenomenal. Well, and there's that great scene with Joan Allen, who you'll forget is in Manhunter if you're not careful. Oh, yeah. Um, with her and Tom Noonan, like, petting the the tiger. And, oh, that movie is real good. Yeah, Tom Noonan's perfectly cast in that movie. I think, in a lot of respects, Ted Levine owes his casting, I think, to Tom Noonan being cast as the Tooth Fairy. Tooth Fairy, sorry. There was a lot of that in there where, you know, two very tall, kind of imposing guys were receding hairlines, um, both unique sounding voices. Tom Noonan's got a very, you know, unique sounding voice, um, and so is Ted Levine, obviously. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that plays into that, and by the time you switch to 
Uh, was it Ralph Fiennes or Ray Fiennes' performance as the Tooth Fairy, which I also like because it's more in keeping with the book. In the book, um, the Tooth Fairy is this muscle-bound, you know, former military man who is, you know, very disciplined and very physically imposing. Tom Noonan's not like that at all. Tom Noonan wears some horrendous fucking shorts in that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's... it's it's weird how you get the the character look more in line with it, but you lose some of the creepiness. I think that's maybe what works for it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Penny has drop. Yep. All right, uh, listeners, we are going to bring up the audio for just another minute here so you can sync up for the last moments of Silence of the Lambs. Johns Hopkins came up with some names. We fed him into known offenders. Subject's name is Jamie Gum, a.k.a. John Grant. All right. Um, do you need me there? Or you guys want to wait? I'll I, <laughs> I can be there in about eight hours. Yeah, we'll look at that picture, and that ain't right. Yeah. Yeah, now she knows, like, yeah, my, I, I'm not going to be there for the arrest, which is what she wants. Like, she wants to be the one to catch the guy, but mm-hmm. also, she is going to get some credit for this. Yeah, credit and penis. Yeah, and from the googly-eyed bug doctor. Because, <laughs> you know, that's why he's there at the end of this movie, because he's getting some Clarice loving. Uh, mm-hmm. well, goodbye horses this is also a scene that was not in the original script that Ted Levine is That's right. on yeah Ted Levine is amazing Monk I'm gonna need to tuck my dick in between my legs <laughs> also uh <laughs> Word is that he had to have a couple of drinks before he did this scene. <laughs> that he had a couple of tequila shots to kind of get him in the mood. Just love the idea that Ted Levine has like scripted this whole idea of this scene having to be in here so he could just get wasted and naked. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when do I get naked again? Well, we don't have that. They're never in the scene. I got an idea for the character. They let me do it on Monk. Yeah. (laughs) And the, you know, would you fuck me, I'd fuck me is maybe... Like, this is one of those scenes that is so incredibly iconic, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, like, this is not a... 
a scene that should play, but it's just so outrageous and, you know, like it fits the character just fine. But like, as far as one of those things, like when you plunk down your 15 bucks to see a, a major motion picture in a movie theater, you do not necessarily expect a scene where the villain is going to tuck his cock between his legs, <laughs> put on women's skin, and dance around to goodbye horses. What? It's, it's once again, it's the it's the the reveal of the of the the true nature of the kill, true nature of the killer. So, like when we see the interactions with Hannibal earlier on, when we finally see um, Officer Boyle like up on the up on the fence, guts hanging out and all the rest. That's who Hannibal is. And now we're about to see exactly what Buffalo Bill is, that how he sees himself, the the extent. I mean, he's not even got all the suit yet. So this is him building into it. So he's still, you know, he's still working off a kind of half-constructed suit of skin. And uh, he just can't help himself. He's like, oh, no, yep. Oh, no. Right, that's it. Marge, did you know that was in this movie? (laughs) That's the popcorn, by the way. Uh, Yeah, it's... That's fucking brilliant. It is. Like, it's a great... It it makes so much sense for the movie, but it's one of those things. Again, it's such a perfect... Uh, uh, you know, assemblage of talent of dire- a director who would listen to the actor propose this and think, you know what? That's right. All right, let's let's get that that scene set up. And, yeah. Uh, oh, it's so good. Also, the name Frederica Bimmel is a fantastic yes. name. Yeah, it's one of the worst names ever. Uh, when I was kind of doing some research on this movie, one of the things that, that kept coming up was how reclusive Thomas Harris, the you know the writer of all this stuff, the uh, guy who wrote all the Hannibal novels, how reclusive he is, and that mm-hmm. he didn't initially see this movie until i think the way he put it was like i was just surrounded by it and it was all people were talking about so i finally saw it and that he sent a case of wine to everyone in the cast (laughs) it was just like (laughs) yeah they did it you know but i can i i like i can understand that as a writer you would be like oh they're gonna fuck this up and yeah and then seeing it land the way it did and and obviously the movie itself is fantastic so and once I don't know how he saw Manhunter. I don't know if he enjoyed that adaptation or not because he changed a lot from the book in that one. So yeah. Oh, we get this line coming up. Oh, you don't know what pain is. Oh. You know, hand it to Catherine. She is. She is doing her level best to stay alive. Yeah. Precious. What a precious. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, you don't know what pain is. No. It's not what you want to hear from just... the guy keeping you in his <laughs> well. And the fingernail well, no boy. The finger well, they call it. Yeah, the finger well. It's a weird rationalization as well about how serial killers see things. You know what I mean? He's obviously upset for the pain and suffering of his dog, and it's that like dehumanizing of her that means that he you know, doesn't feel the same way about anything that she says. Oh. I wonder if they're doing a thing where it looks like they're knocking on my door, but they're not. <laughs> hmm. I better go upstairs and check. <laughs> I love this. I'm coming. <laughs> Uh, one of the greatest lines of all time, Bo, about to come up. Strap uh, yourself in. It, yeah. <laughs> what are you, about a size 14? <laughs> He's like, Starling. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> she was a big girl. Uh great big fat person. I mean, his belt's unbuckled. That's never a good sign either. Yeah, his belt's unbuckled. He's not wearing socks. Plus, he just used the sentence, was she a great big fat person? It seems overall I mean, like a, a pretty together guy, in <laughs> fairness. Now, do you think he does that because that dehumanizes her as well? It doesn't refer to her as a girl or anything. It's just a great big fat person. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's how he he sees his victims and whatnot. Um, oh, there's a moment of realization coming, which I, I mm-hmm. really... Here's what I like in movies, Duncan. I like it. Uh, the, this is the, the Spider-Man homecoming scene as well, where both characters suddenly realize who the yeah. other is. And it's unspoken. It's just like, okay, let's get down to the business of doing business. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. As he's asking about specific details in the case. <laughs> uh-huh. So like, maybe? Oh, this flip. Yeah, there we go. Keep it cool. And also how he reacts to her pulling the gun as well. It's like almost like kind of laughing at her. He's just like, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you think you're going to use the phone?
oh, the chase is on. Let's turn into a real full-on horror movie now. Mm-hmm. Uh, another little tidbit. Fangoria <laughs> wanted to put this movie on the cover, and the studio would not allow it. Yeah, well, yeah, they tried to move. They tried to pivot heavy away from horror. I don't blame them, but like having worked through this eighties list that I'm doing just now on podcasts under the stairs, the late eighties really starts to become quite slim pickings for really good quality horror movies. That you know, it was just seen as being toxic. So, and they want to try and bring in like a huge audience. Who want? I don't necessarily think they were looking for all the critical acclaim that they got for the movie, but you know. It certainly benefits the movie if they don't use it. Yeah, especially because they were doing a big Oscar push for this film. Like the Orion wanted wanted prestige attached to this film, and you know, although the year that we record this, I assume that this this commentary will be listened to for decades and centuries. Um, oh, but of course. The, the year that we record it like hereditary is probably going to show up at the oscars you know should it really should but then again that's like it's a24 a24 have like a, a fairly successful track record the last couple of years of being well represented at the oscars maybe not necessarily winning but yeah i, don't... I think sometimes the Oscars to tend to be forgiving of studios as they do necessarily in terms of directors of films or stuff like that. They have their things that they allow. Check your corners. Um, I like, yep. I like this moment where like Catherine believes she is free yep. and you know, <laughs> that the cavalry has arrived, but that is totally not the case and her like you know, you fucking bitch <laughs> yeah you fucking bitch uh and again just that you know as far as jodie foster selling it in this film like the panic on her face uh and it just like the way she carries herself of like this is as a professional what i have to do but holy shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not pleased about that decision. <laughs> this guy's crazy, by the way. The understatement of the film. <laughs> like, well, you know, I probably got that from the fact that you're in a pit with his dog. Um, All right, let me just open the door to the terrifying part of this film. <laughs> Where you're attacked in the dark by bugs. Boy, uh, the one thing I'm real glad about is that there's lights on. I'll tell you, <laughs> if it got suddenly dark, I think that'd be scary as shit. And when you get down in the basement, there's some swastikas and stuff that you'll see on some of the art. 
uh, mm-hmm. in the basement, which kind of implies I don't. It's been a while since I've read the book, but I don't remember that being part of his background. Um, no, not really. No, but I think it just might be a touch of like you know this is a guy who's tried a little bit of everything to figure out what it is that is wrong with him, what what's missing. You know, man, man like James Gum got a great big hole right in the middle of him. Yep. Oh, nice. I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. The, old, <laughs> the old Texas chainsaw. <laughs> uh, there is, I don't, this to me is like a primal fear kind of moment of being in the dark and someone being able to see you just fine. And in particular, this scene coming up where he he reaches out for and almost touches her. Yeah. And that kind of thing is pretty terrifying. Um, This is probably not the time, but uh, a couple of nights ago, I had a dream where, um, I was in an elementary school and David Lynch was one of the teachers there. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I don't, I, I wish I had like a lot of vivid details, uh, to, to give you. I don't, but it was, I just, just remember my watch inland empire over and over and over again. Do you want graham crackers? <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, because she is both a threat to him, but also exactly what he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, click. Here we go. And then she fright nights the window out. Yeah. <laughs> On the fact she's like, I'm like, he's clearly not getting up, but she's like, fuck it. Uh-huh. Let's reload. Oh, am I a dead person now? <laughs> My creepy dead person. going to give us some of this we don't need to really spend too much time here we're going to have a very quick scene so Catherine getting out okay yeah it, it, i mean there it's what this and then we have the the wrap up with hannibal and that's kind of yeah. it i, I like yeah. the fact that she takes the dog yeah she keeps pre- pressure well in uh, a lot of ways whereas um Clarice tried to save the lamb and could not. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Catherine saves the dog in a in a weird way. Thank you. I'm official now. Go ahead, <laughs> soak it up. I captured both. Go on now. Go on now. <laughs> Go on now. Take a picture. Ardelia, I'm better than you in so many ways. <laughs>
That cake looks good. It, it, That's a big slice as well. Uh-huh. Well, they're not fucking around, man. It's the FBI. Oh, Ardelia. I forgot you were here. I'll probably make a little time with bug eyes. And- Such a creepy photo. He's just like, let me get him for a photo. I like she's got the uh, the powder burns on her face. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, I have tiny hands. <laughs> don't don't be startled by them. They're very much like a doll's. And he's gone. No hole for you, sir. No hole for you. A fly just lands on him. He's like, I don't care about this fly. Uh huh. I, you know, I I like this whole exchange uh, of hey, I uh, I don't want you to come after me, and her saying like I can't I can't say that for sure, like that's my job, but mm-hmm. but him assuring her like you know like him saying the world's a more interesting place with you in it is uh, a, a very nice line. Doctor Lecter. Dr. Lecter, I'm sorry. You'll have to hang up if you'd like to make a call. <laughs> Dr. Lecter, I'm sorry. This is not Dr. Lecter. <laughs> All right. So, obviously, the uh, I'm having an old friend for dinner is a great line. Um, as we, we fade out here, though, it's important to note that as he fades into the distance, the hat flies off Hannibal Lecter's head. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. That is yeah, yeah. what makes this film and Bloodshack very similar. <laughs> Bloodshack. <laughs> Wait for it. Yeah, Hold. Hold. That's quite windy. Uh huh. And only thanks to the magic uh, of Blu-ray uh, can you see this. There it goes. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep. yep look I'm to the He's like, ah, oh, yeah. son of a bitch. Should we cut, Jonathan? <laughs> no? Keep going? It's the end of the movie? All right. Um... But yeah, man, that is it. That is uh, Silence O the Lambs. Um, one of the, the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the finest films ever made. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. I think um, it, it's 
we've already we've already said there's no way to understate its impact on cinema moving forward. And I think in, in some respects you can see a movie changes the course of how stories are told. That doesn't always mean that the movie that does that is great. It just means that it introduces styles, techniques or a specific way of storytelling which takes off. In the case of this one, it really does. You know, this is a movie that fires on all cylinders everyone is turning in their best performances and it's this weird like you use the term lightning in a bottle and I think it really is where just everything seems, this movie to me feels like an effortless production and that's how I judge the the greats in cinemas where everything almost feels like it was almost too easy Um, and that's what you have when you watch this as a movie that I have lost count how many times I've watched it and never sicken of watching I will, I will always have time to watch this movie it's it's and it, we didn't even talk about how the the score helps this movie i think the, the score the soundtrack is fucking phenomenal as well and um, just adds to it, the central themes yeah it's just a, a, an amazing movie that gives us one of i mean the direct hollywood had taken a swing at hannibal lecter as a character and you know struck out and then they come back and with the right combination the right cast around them take a a role which is now synonymous with Anthony Hopkins regardless what he does and the man has done plenty before and plenty after he will always be Hannibal Lecter yeah um you know he said at the time uh he was he signed up for this movie that if this didn't hit because he, you know, he'd been making movies for a while, but none of them particularly outstanding or or successful. And but he said, you know, if this movie doesn't make it, I'm, I'll probably just go back to the stage in England and mm-hmm. just make my career there. And uh, we would be the worst for it because then we wouldn't have uh, him in Westworld. Uh, this is true. But yeah, so uh, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us and, and watching uh, Silence of the Lambs with us. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, yes, it I'll, good. I'll never, now that I've said it, I don't know if I'll get the image of passing a, a testicular raisin like a gallstone <laughs> out of my head anytime soon. Um, but we, uh, we're, obviously we'll be back to do the regular show once that... Um, uh coen brothers joint lands um in the meantime we'll be back next month sometime to do another commentary and i think uh have we decided highlander is that what it's going to be i think so i've got a couple ideas in the background as well so and maybe let's see it is highlander but let's say that's open to changes well highlander's definitely getting covered but I think there's another couple ideas that could be quite interesting as well so it's a it's a there's, there's so much time to do it yeah, it's so so much time to do it. So it's okay. a soft, soft Highlander. <laughs> it's a, uh, like a, a, a Midlander is where it's we a land. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, that is a movie I immortalized. Uh, immortalized, like anybody fucking cared. But I, I slipped that, <laughs> that Kurgan line into that kid's movie that uh, got produced. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, of course you did, Bob. Oh man, you know, but it, it's almost fitting that we would, if we do Highlander next, that it's a movie starring Ted Levine and one uh, with Clancy Brown, two yeah tall 
menacing actors who, when you see them in other roles, seem very funny and nice. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because it changed them, you know. Clancy Brown as uh, as um, Buffalo Bill and Ted Levine as the Kurgan. Yeah, <laughs> are, Ramirez. Are you that great big Highlander? <laughs> there, there can be only one. Um, that's that's so good. pretty good. All right, well, Duncan, thanks so much for hanging out and watching Silence of the Lambs. Um, Anytime. I'm I'm glad that it wasn't just us quoting the movie to each other, which it it was in danger of being. Oh yeah, I, I think we needed to be a bit more on point with the movie so we can continue to reference the movie um, ad nauseum forever. So sure, and that'll continue to happen. So uh, listeners, uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for watching the movie. We'll be back next month with another commentary. Uh, in the meantime, uh, say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Oh, well played. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thing to say, you never.